If you're new to Grace and Peace, some of the things that we've been talking about, we've been talking about the, the, uh, some of our values. And one of our values that I want to talk about today is what, is it, what does it mean to have authentic unity? Authentic unity. And what this means is that, that we keep the main things the main things. That the gospel, the central message of Jesus Christ, is what we're going to be talking about every week. It is because we believe that Jesus, the central figure of the Bible, and even the central figure of the entire world, is what we need to be talking about. He is the message. He is the gospel. He is essentially Christianity. And also, we are going to be united in the mission. It is our desire to see the renewal of Colorado Springs. In fact, the renewal of all things. God had sent a Savior not to condemn the earth so that it would be scrapped, but that he sent a Savior to renew the earth so that it would be exactly the way he desired it to be. And he has a people united with that Savior to live out that mission to see that this earth will be what it was meant to be. And so that's what he does. And so what this ought to do is bring people from different age groups different generations, uh, millennials and baby boomers hanging out, worshiping, eating from the same loaf of bread. Uh, We should see people from different political stripes, Republicans and Democrats hanging out, enjoying coffee together, hearing from the same word uh, preached to them, people from different socioeconomic brackets eating from the same bread, drinking from the same drink. So that is what we desire to see. Why? Because we're unified in one thing, one Savior, Jesus Christ. We're unified in one mission, the renewal of all things. That's what we desire to see. That's who we're to be. But we turn back our attention to what we've been preaching on, and we've been preaching for the, are going through seven signs and seven statements. And now we're talking about these seven statements principally so that Jesus identifies, shows you who he really is. Jesus is pulling the, the veil back, or he's ripping open the curtain and saying, This is the true me. This is who I am. And he makes these statements, and he makes them clear, and he makes them bold, and he says these things. And here he says that he is the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. A few years ago, a friend of mine noticed that he was getting sick often. He was bruising easily. He was really tired. He had swollen lymph nodes. His body was not functioning. It was not as fruitful as it used to be. He went to the doctor and was uh, diagnosed with an acute form of leukemia. It was dreadful. A 20-something with leukemia. Uh, In order to save his life, he had to get a bone marrow transplant. See, no longer was his his body able to sustain his life. His bone marrow did not produce uh, what it needed to. He got a transplant, though, from a little girl who died. Donated, they, parent, they, they donated her bone marrow. And the most remarkable thing happened. When the transplant took, my friend no longer had his blood and bone marrow, but someone else's. It was the little girl's. So that if he, uh, I don't know, fled a crime scene and he left blood, his blood, it would come up as, you know, like a little girl was here. And so that was kind of strange, and he would joke about it. Um, and so that was, that was it. Her life in some way resided or remained or abided in his bones. When a friend asked him, though, 
How did he see God working on this? He said something probably more remarkable than, than the fact that he had a little girl's bone marrow. He said the remarkable thing wasn't that his life was spared or that he got a bone marrow transplant, but that he got a spiritual transplant of sorts. You see, he was stuck, to, stuck in his bed, and for hours he would just sit there reading. And what was he reading about? He read authors, he read the Bible, and he read authors that would tell him about God's love for him, that God paid attention, that God actually loved and cared for him, regardless of how moral or how awesome he was or talents or his goodness, he started to hear about a God who paid attention to him even though he was stuck in lots of sin and that he was messed up and that a God loved him then. And when he started to get that into the heart, in some way it was as if the love of God was being engrafted into his bones so that he was transforming as a person. And so even in the midst of just horrendous pain and suffering, something strange was happening to my friend. He was bearing fruit. And this fruit that was coming out of his life was actual patience, kindness, sacrificing for others, being kind to nurses even though he wanted to kick them out in the middle of the night while they were checking his vitals. He was being transformed. You know, and so what happened was uh, God took residence in his person. It was the very life of God in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the love of God. Jesus Christ started to abide in his heart in his bones, and it changed him to bear fruit. In a lot of ways, Jesus is explaining to his followers here, he's explaining this, that if you abide in me, if you spend time, if you take in the love of God in Jesus Christ, if you abide in me, the love of God made present, the love of God made huggable, the love of God made kissable, the love of God made killable, then you'll bear fruit. You'll be transformed. That's what he's telling them. And so he tells them, abide, remain, or dwell. So that word abide has all these little different glosses. It could mean remain. It could mean to live. It could be to dwell. Uh, if we were to talk about it in normal today parlance and in how, our nomenclature today, it was like it would be to identify deeply with this thing. And it is, in this case, Jesus Christ. Identify with Jesus Christ. And so that your whole soul and being, you're, an, you're animated by Jesus Christ and you get it in, in yourself. And so that's what he's saying. And how do you do that? Well, he was saying, well, if you abide, you do what I command you to, to do my words, live out the program for the world, and God would live out his program through you. And then he says, ask whatever you want. According to the word abiding in you, for the sake of the mission, it'll be done for you. See, the thing is, is Jesus is not like a cosmic vending machine. You know, if you put in the right amount of moral quarters or something like that, and then you push the request, like, like I would really like a new car, E5. And then, you know, you, 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 there's no lever. You know, you just press the button. Uh, you press the button, and then suddenly, out comes the new car. No, God doesn't do that. 
That isn't the way it is. See, that's living life according to your own mission, your own prerogative, and then somehow God has to get onto your level and to know what you want, as if he was a vending machine. God's not a vending machine. And so whenever you ask whatever you want, it doesn't work like that because he says, you have to abide in my word. And so if you abide in God's word, if you live, dwell, if you get that in you, one of the things that will happen to you is that you will love the things that God loves. You will start to want the things that God loves. Instead of like E5, new truck, one of the things maybe you'll be asking for is, uh, I really hope that my neighbors have a place to sleep tonight. You know, maybe, maybe it'll be something like, Lord, uh, I don't like the criticism I get from my roommates, but maybe they're right. E1, <laughs> you know, and so that's some of the things that would happen. It is you're praying for his kingdom come, his will to be done. And that happens if you're abiding in his word. Not only that, he says that, that if you keep his commandments, that you'll bear fruit. And what was his commandments? And he keeps it super simple. I like Jesus. Why? Because sometimes I'm a little sick and I don't really get it. And he says, all right, here it is. Here's this commandment. Love one another. Love one another. And then, not only that, he actually gives an example. Greater love has no one than this. That someone should lay down his life for his friend. So he even gives an example. And not only that, he will actually then do show and tell the next day. He will die for them. He'll be hung up on a cross. And so that's his commandment. He's like, you want to know how to give, do this, that they love one another. And so the encouragement, though, for them, if you think about the way this story is going, Jesus leaves the upper room, it tells us in chapter 14 at the last verse, that they left from there and that they were going probably across the Kidron Valley, over to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And what happened, probably he came across some vines. And Jesus goes, mm, object lesson time. And so he says, says this. He knows that they're going to go through lots of opposition. It's going to go through a lot. There, things are going to be a crisis for them. And he says, ha, I am the true vine. And everyone's looking at the probably grapevines for wine, and they're like, the true vine, what, what is Humboldt talking about? At least that would have been my reaction. And then he goes on to explain. He says, you must live in me the way these branches live in this vine. You see, Jesus lives out the life that Israel was supposed to live out. So in Isaiah chapter 5, it talks about Israel as a vine being planted by the Lord. It also talks about this in Isaiah 27, and that they were supposed to be a people that were called to live out God's love, his goodness, his values into the world. But when opposition came, when difficulty came for Israel, what did they do? Uh, I don't know. They stopped caring for widows and orphans. They stopped uh, having things like the Sabbath, and so they caused people to work on Sunday so that all economy can go, so that they could have the security of having money in their pockets or in their bank accounts or sheep in their little sheep, you know, sheepfold. That's kind of the way economy would have worked then. And so they were kind of 
here in this stressed out position, and everything they did was not abide in Christ. They looked for everything else. And so God says, I looked, they bore fruit, and then I had the fruit in Isaiah 5, and it was sour grapes. It was bad fruit, uncultivated. I think that's where sour grapes come from. You know, I mean, that. I don't know, just making that up. Uh, But here he says, Jesus is the true Israel, the true life for the world, the true fruit for the world. And the Father is the vine dresser, meaning that God himself is sovereignly in control of all things. He's the one who causes the growth. He's the one that plants it. He's the one that causes the branches to be where they are. He's the one doing the pruning. You know, Jesus knew the impending crisis that was upcoming. And he insisted that they would remain faithful. So abiding would mean that they remained faithful to him, that they looked to him alone above all other things. Cash monies wasn't going to be able to do it. You know, uh, having a great car, a good reputation, all those things in the midst of crisis can't possibly give you what Jesus Christ could only give you. And that is the vindication for your whole person, the validating performance record that you need, the, the, the items in your resume to make you approvable in the entire world. And so if Jesus is the true vine, we need to ask, answer three questions. And uh, why is it three questions? Because I'm a Presbyterian and things come in threes for me, okay? So what are you for? How do you live, or how do you you have the good life, or how do you live the good life? And what does the world most need? So what are you for? How do you live the good life? And what does the world most need? So what are you for? The text tells us that you are to produce good fruits, basically. Abide in me so that you would produce good fruits. And this is good fruits for God's joy, your joy, and for the sake of the world. It is to, uh, as another Presbyterian would also say, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yes, what does that mean? Okay, to love one another is how we get there. But what are you for? It is to produce good fruits fruits. Glorify God and enjoy him forever. Uh, And so what this means is, and Jesus says, you are to uh, produce good fruits by sacrificial living, by giving of yourself, giving of your time, talents, efforts, everything that you are, so that the world may be as it was meant to be. That's what it is. And this is not moralism, but true virtue. Uh, J. Todd Packer or Billing says this, the good news is that in Jesus Christ, we did not manufacture this news. The news is not about our own effort to imitate Christ or to do what Jesus would do. First and foremost, the good news of, of, the, good new, the, good news of the gospel is that the gift of, is actually being united to Jesus Christ, a gift received from God in a way that activates us to live into this new life, coming to us as part of God's new creation. So, what are these good fruits? It is the putting together of all things the way it was meant to be, the renewal of all things. It is this world, your neighborhood, lived out the way it was meant to be, that the relationships in your household are the way it was meant to be. No longer are you going to get upset and freak out when your roommate doesn't do the dishes. Somehow, you guys are going to get it done in a way that is peaceable, 
and is sacrificially loving to one another. That's what it means to be fruitful on a ground level. So all of humanity in Genesis 1.27 was told that they are to be fruitful and multiply. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are created for good works that you may walk in them. It also says in Galatians that these are the fruit of the Spirit. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, goodness, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control. Love, this is, this is what it is. But it, doesn't, it isn't manufactured. It's not moralism. Christianity uh, doesn't say, you know what you really need to do? Is do these five things, and then you'll be able to live the good life. Or follow this eightfold path, and then everything will be wonderful for you. Rather, Christianity is much different in the fact that it says uh, you didn't lift a, a finger or a pinky to do anything. In fact, you have to confess that you're immoral and that you need Jesus Christ to be moral for you. And then, if you were able to confess that, then God works in you in such a way by his love coming into your heart to produce fruit. Love, goodness, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control. But how in the world, that's how you live the virtuous life? This is what you're made for? You know, and so that is what it is. Self-sacrificial love is to be exhibited in your whole life. But you can only get that if you see Jesus Christ sacrificing for you, even though you didn't deserve it. So we are to take creation and culture and aim it for the flourishing of the world. Even amongst people that we think don't deserve it because at the heart of the gospel is the belief that I didn't deserve it. And this is the most human of activities. Jesus says this. He says, already you are clean. That means you're in it. You're in, he says to his people. This is the pattern of the Bible. He, he also will say, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit. So it isn't based on your performance. God doesn't say, you know what would be great? See that little kid there? I'm, I'm sure he's going to hold doors for people and he's going to be awesome all the time and he's got musical skills. I definitely want him on my team. That is not the way it worked. You see, God loves you. God loves you because he loves you. No other reason. You know, and so he is the, he, he, it's not by gaining access or achieving. Jesus talks about remaining in him because he chose you. You're already clean. It isn't up to you. You know, someone say, oh, come on, Vince. You hear what this is? You just said, you got to follow Jesus' commandments. You're saying that I need to follow Jesus. That's, that's a moral straitjacket, Vince. You know, what about Freedom. You know, what about freedom? Uh, I once heard it said that modern people are good at describing, or like kind of describing freedom from, but they're never really good at describing freedom for. You're free to do what? To do what exactly? You're free from moral constraints. You're, you're free from, from cultural constraints. You're con- free from cultural, cultural captivity. To do what? Free from your parents. To do What? And they never say. And the Bible says, this is what you're free to do. I will free you from your sin in order that you would bear good fruit. That's what he frees you from. That's what he frees you from. 
You see, uh, if I took, so true freedom looks like this. If I took a sailboat and put it in the middle of I-25, we don't say that the, the sailboat is free from the ocean, do we? Look, look at that glorious sailboat free from the ocean. It's not going to go anywhere on the interstate unless we're having the bomb cyclone and then it might, you know, drag along a little bit. You see, true freedom is being placed where it was meant to be. And so Jesus Christ says, I have come to free you from sin, to free you from performance, to free you from trying to justify yourself in a million other ways besides me. And all you have to do is abide. Fill your heart up with this love and you'll sail on the ocean. You'll be truly free. So that's what he says. You know, people are probably always, always wondering, you know, like, come on, man. But this sounds really like you're, you're just seeking for yourself, you know. And, and the deal is, is like Jesus says, my joy is complete in this, you know. And, and I do this that your joy may be full. So God's not anti-joy. And, and it's okay. People are like, it seems like really kind of like self-interested. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay to be self-interested. You want to know why? Because when your joy is the joy of another person, it's okay. When your joy is for the joy of the other person, you kind of get around that little altruism trap. You're not being altruistic. And so here's the deal. We also see this idea of like, what about the branches that are thrown into the fire, Vince? What about them? You know, uh, here's the deal. If you're united with Christ, you're going to bear fruit. And so some people are like, they, they, they take this and they're like, ah, see, He's going to take every branch that does not bear fruit. He's going to throw it in the fire. And so you better behave. Okay? That's not the point of the text. You want to, you want to know why? Because I don't think Jesus is committing the, the all, all true Scotsman fallacy. Have you guys ever heard of this? The all true Scotsman? You guys ready for a philosophy lesson? This is always fun. Okay? So the all true Scotsman fallacy will say, all true Scotsmen wear kilts. You know, uh, 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 William Wallace didn't wear a kilt one day. Obviously, he's not a true Scotsman, is what they would say. And so we do this with Christianity. We're really good about this with Christianity. It says, a real true Christian would never do X, right? And so fill in the X. A real true Christian would never vote Democrat. A true Christian would never vote for Trump. A true Christian would never be attracted to the same sex. A true Christian would never be a racist. A true Christian would never, you know, keep going on. You can make this really great list until you find out that a really true Christian is, well, it's just me. Shining bright in the sun, looking in the mirror. I am a true Christian. It makes us feel good about ourselves, but in the end, that is not what the text is talking about. Jesus isn't trying to narrow everybody out, like, and so that you look around like, I wonder, do I have enough good fruit in my life? No, the point of the text is this it says, you need to abide. You need to remain in me, trust in me. Uh, the way this goes with my family, you know, if you're talking like this, rhetorically the point was to say, hey, look out, be careful. So if I'm driving with my kids, I'm like, I'll say something like, hey, kids, if you be quiet the rest of this car ride, this is like the most impossible thing in the world, the rest of this car ride, we will go get ice cream. And the kids are like, yes! I'm like, shh. If you do not be quiet, well, I, I'm going to just drive this car home. 
and we're going to close the garage door, and you guys are going to do chores, right? But what's the point of me saying that? Is it for them to always be watching out and like, am I be quiet enough? Am I going to mess up? Am I going to lose out on the ice cream? No. The point of the, the, the reason I say that is for them to be quiet. And so when Jesus says this about the branches, it's so that they would do what? Abide. And how do they abide? Loving one another. Sacrificing for one another. That's the point of the text. So if you go around here and like, well, I'm the theology man, and I sit at my watchtower watching anyone else. And so, hmm, that Christian over there, he tied his shoes wrong. He's out. You know, that, that isn't the point of the text. And so what is he trying to get, get across? Abide in his love. Love one another. Bear fruit so that the world would flourish. You know, so the strength of your Christianity is not dependent, though, on your fruit. No, no, no. It comes down to what you're rooted in. You can no more cause yourself to bear good fruit than an oak tree can cause itself to bear apples. God doesn't approve of you because you have good fruit. No, he approves of you and you bear good fruit. Get that mixed up, and you don't have Christianity. And so, what is this fruit? The fruit is loving kindness for the flourishing of others. The fruit that he was talking about when he's looking at grapes was probably wine for wine. It was probably for joy, flourishing. You know, and so, so we see people who are maybe an artist, you bring about fruitful joy into the city by creating beauty, challenging people to stop and reflect, to think deeper than just on the surface, thinking deeper than 140 characters. Uh, for first responders, you bring about fruitful joy by caring for others in emergencies, keeping people safe. Plumbers, you literally save us from our crap. Camp counselors, you know, you're... You're the positive adults modeling healthy relationships for people, for professors. You're bringing knowledge to other people. For administrators, you're also saving us from our crap. You know, so that's really important. And all this does is to bring joy and flourishing. So how about you? What gifts, talents, time, resources do you have to make your home, your workplace, your community center, or Colorado Springs fruitful? What are you here for? To bear good fruit so that Colorado Springs, your home, your relationships would reflect God's goodness. That's what you exist for. You exist for mission. Uh, my dad used to have these tomato plants, and I would notice that he was always plucking little branches off. I'm like, Dad, why are you doing that? And he was like, because they are keeping it from being productive keeping it from being productive. And so these little suckers, he'd go in there and just take them off, right? They just kind of latch on, take the resources of the tomato plant, not produce any fruit. In a lot of ways, that's what God does. He wants us to produce fruit, and so he's going to pluck off the suckers. And sometimes it's going to be hard. And also you've got to prune the plant so that it produces the fruit that it was meant to do. Sometimes you're going to get criticism. 
Sometimes there's going to be hard things in your life. But God wants you to produce fruit. What's your responsibility? Not to look around and judge everyone's theology. No, he wants you to abide in God's word. That's what he wants you to do. Next question is, is how do you live the good life? Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And the repeated refrain is abide. So where do you find your life? Where do you find it? You know, whenever pruning comes, you're probably like, you know, you get the critique from your boss and it always says, uh, you can do better here. Does that ever just kind of cut to your heart? You just feel the dagger turn? Uh, whenever you look and uh, maybe you planned a program and only like five out of like the 150,000 people you thought were going to show up, only five show up. Uh, you don't get many Instagram likes on whatever you posted. And you feel the dagger just twist, right? Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If the judgment and your vindication is always on your performance, you're going to do nothing. But if your judgment, your vindication, your life's value, your life's worth is based on Jesus Christ's performance for you, then you always win. Even when it seems like you're losing. You get the critique, it cuts to the heart. You're just like, it's just a little bit of surgery. What's going on? So John Piper might be right. How do we live the good life? Uh, the good life is lived by uh, glorifying God by enjoying Him forever. By enjoying Him forever. You know, if Jesus abides in you, then anything you do is, is going to be cool. So Jesus says, abide in my love, keep my commandments. And this is really hard for us today because I think a lot of us resonate with uh, Leonard Skinner's Freebird song that goes, uh, where it's, it's a breakup song. It's so, so weird, but it's a breakup song because he wants freedom. It says, bye-bye, baby. It's been a sweet love. Though this feeling I can't change, but please don't take it so badly because Lord knows I'm to blame. So he's okay with being to blame, but then he, then he goes here. But if I stayed here with you, girl, things just couldn't be the same. Because I'm as free as a bird now. And this bird you'll never change. Oh, oh, oh. And this bird you cannot change. And this bird you cannot change. Lord knows I can't change. Lord, help me. I can't change. Lord, I can't change. So a lot of us are feeling that way. Like we want freedom. I can't change. This is who I am. You know, and so living this good life, this idea of actually abiding in Jesus, actually knowing that you are uh, vindicated, validated before God because of Jesus Christ, you, you, you know, that's, that's hard. Why? Because you have to follow his commandments. You know, if you've ever been in love, you know that there's some rules in a love relationship, unless you're Leonard Skinner, because he can't change. He doesn't want to change. You know, so how can you be free? You know, free for what? To die alone? Free like Leonard Skinner? How in the world can he possibly have this? And he says that you connect with God. Jesus says, you got to connect with me. You got to know this, the power of God, the mutual indwelling of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, self-giving love of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love, he says. Follow Jesus' commands. Love one another. And so, here's a question. 
If you're always to like abide in his love, we need to ask ourselves, what are we consuming? And we like to tell ourselves little stories. You know, you always got a story going on in your head, always telling yourself. You're always, you're, you're about to, when you wake up in the morning, you're fearful. One of the first things you say, maybe you're like, mm, I'm not smart enough. Start to tell yourself the story that you're not capable enough, that you don't have anything to offer. You can't do it. Maybe you're worried about where you're from, like the Kendrick Lamar song. You know, forget who you know, where you're from, in other colorful language. And so, um, Kendrick Lamar, what, what, what the thing is, is like there's this story behind who we are. And we're always telling ourselves this. How are we able to kind of get, get out of that? How are we able to change? And Psalm 1 tells it pretty clearly, how are we able to change? And he says this, He, that is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but is a righteous person, is a, like a tree planted by streams of water, so it feeds on this good news. And it yields its fruit in season. Oh, there's that fruit word again. And its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff. The wind drives away. They are rooted, and they are feasting on the word. Uh, let me put it this way. Anyone like hot tubs? I like hot tubs a lot. Hot tubs are great. And so what you need to do if you're going to change and see little incremental changes and to see God really working in your life is to soak in the hot tub of God's love for you. Okay? The muscles will relax. You'll change. And over time, it may not be fast, but it'll happen. This is exactly the way how wine gets its flavor. Okay? Uh, every time I drink a Chilean wine from the valley that I used to live in in, in Santiago, it, I always taste, I'm not advocating wine drinking here, by the by, okay? But every time you do drink wine, I would always taste this flavor, and this real particular flavor. Do you know what it is? And Micah knows this. It's burning uh, like, like trash is what it is. Because they would burn a lot of the stuff out in the field in little, right by the vine. And I'm like, that, and I taste it every time. You see, you, we are like wine or like grapes that soaks up whatever we're around. Whatever we're around. And we're going to taste like that. You soak up the love, sacrificial love, you're going you're to ooze sacrificial love. You soak up, you know, bitterness, all these stories that you're not smart enough, you're not capable enough, you're not good enough. You're going to ooze all those things. But if you have God's vindication, then you can do it. And so, how do you, how do you start to soak up this love? Now, you get some good friends. You schedule time to pray. You learn. You go to worship. You soak it up. You surround yourself with the true story. You read the Bible. Make Christian friends. Live on mission. That's how you do it. So what does the world need most? What, do you, what does the world need most? And Jesus said, in, the, in Psalm, or Isaiah 27, it says that the whole earth will be filled with its fruit. The whole earth was meant to reflect God's goodness, kindness, and love with his image bearers, you and me. So what is this fruit that we need? We need self-sacrificing love. John 13, Jesus says to his disciples, they will know that you're my disciples 
By your rules? No. By uh, your 10 great parenting tips? No. That by your good looks? No. By, by you know, X, Y, or Z? No. They'll know you by his love, by your love for one another. And so, remember that it's not that your obedience produces the good life or what everyone else needs. The world doesn't need, does not need your moralism telling them this is how you live. But they do need your good fruit. This world is hurting. It is broken. We see it in the mirror every day. We see it in the news every day. And God has redeemed a people to bear good fruit, to share his image, his, share his goodness, love, kindness, mercy into this world, to clean bunks at the spring rescue mission. He redeems people to give, breathe dignity back into others. That's the good fruits. It is sacrificial love. Have you ever been in love? It's the weirdest thing. You start to do stupid stuff. You start to change your normal habits. You start to strategically place yourself so that you would see this person. So it is like being in love with God. You strategically place yourself so that you would abide in his love. You start to change. It's a lot like that Frozen song. We're not saying you could change her because people don't really change. Uh, people can change. You're only saying that love's a, we're only saying that love's a force that's powerful and strange. People make bad choices. If they're mad, scared, or stressed, throw a little love their way, throw a little love their way, and you'll bring out the best. True love brings out their best. And so true love into this world will bring out the best in the world. Who knew Frozen had a little theology in it? Jesus is saying that when you get the love in your heart, it is, as Dave Matthews says, it's like black magic bliss. It's mysterious. You want to change. When you see Jesus Christ dying for your sins, for every way that you've messed up, every way that you've hurt others, you see him being torn apart so you can be whole, so that you can participate in making this world whole. It's beautiful. Herman Bobbing says, grace redeems nature. J.K. Rowling says, as, as, love as powerful as your mother's, talking to Harry, leaves its own mark. To have been loved so deeply, even though the person you loved is gone, will give you some protection forever. To be sacrificially loved transforms you, turns you inside out, makes you sail makes you sore and will cause you to give good fruits into this world. And that's what people need most. They need your love. And if you have been loved by God in Jesus Christ, then you have a huge checking account of love. And you can cash lots of checks to see this world transformed. The love of God dwelling in you is like a bone marrow transplant. It gets into your bones like a first kiss gets into your heart. It changes you. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, you loved us and you do love us. 
Help us to abide in you. Help us to know what love looks like. Help us to sacrifice the way you sacrificed. Nourish our faith. If the checking account of our love is small, I pray that you would fill it up with this bread and with this wine. I pray that you would help us to sing your good news, to transform us. Lord, please, by your grace, renew us, renew our faith so we may sing loudly, we may forgive others, we may confess where we are wrong, that we would help those who have no pillow to lay their head, that we would love our neighbor, that we would be kind to our roommate. Lord, Please be with us. Please nourish our faith. We ask these things in Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks, thanks and praise. Uh, here at Grace and Peace, we invite you to come forward for the Lord's Supper. And so what we do is we come from these uh, outside down into this area. And you will come and you will... Break off a piece of bread, a common loaf, because we have unity together, because we confess that we all need Jesus Christ. Rich, poor, black, white, uh, Democrat, Republican, native, non-native, we need this bread. And so you come, you break it off, you eat it. You get, you get wine or juice. Juice is on the outer ring only. Wine is on the rest of the rings. And you come and drink. There is gluten-free bread at the table, and I will uncover it at the end. Uh, and it symbolizes that Jesus Christ's sacrificial love for you. But if, if, you don't, if, you, if your confession is not that you, if, if it's that you don't need Jesus, that you don't want him, or maybe that you don't know yet. It's understandable. If you have questions, come and ask me. We'll talk about it. But this is a meal of faith. We don't want you to do anything that's inauthentic to where you are or where you've been on your spiritual journey. We ask that you let the elements pass or you just simply observe from your seat and you see. You see a broken body. You see Jesus' life poured out, sacrificial love for you, so that you can have the vindication your heart most needs. Therefore, let us proclaim our faith as signed and sealed in the sacrament. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, after giving thanks, took bread, and he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is broken for you, Take and eat of it, all of you, in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper was ended, Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is the, new covenant, is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you, as often as you do, in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink of this cup, we proclaim his death until he comes again. We proclaim his sacrificial love for us, the true vine. This is where we have life, brothers and sisters, here in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Lord God, I pray that you would nourish our faith. 
and that we would find life in Jesus Christ, the true vine. We ask and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I forgot to mention also there will be people at the end to pray for those, especially kids who have uh, maybe not yet professed their faith in Christ. And also if you just need any prayer whatsoever. But please come, take, and feast on Jesus Christ's sacrificial love for you.